Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome back once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. I'm your host, David Lewis. And here is where we talk about the methods and technologies for driving growth. If you guys are new to the channel and just found this episode with Gary and I, strongly suggest that you make sure that you subscribe because uh, we make episodes every single week for you. And if you're more of a visual learner than just audio, you are welcome to visit us at demandgen.tv. That will bring you right to our YouTube channel, or you can search YouTube for DemandGen, and you'll find all of our episodes there, as well as a lot of MarTech and sales tech demonstrations because again we like to show you guys the methods and technologies for driving growth and today on the program gary and i are going to talk about being agents of change both of us working in large organizations and having been at many organizations and bringing about change and i really hope the lessons that you guys take from today is tackling some new initiatives and maybe getting your heels off the ground and bringing about change within your organization so let's get gary good morning morning david great to see you it is bright and sunny where you are in Singapore. And as I look outside, the sun has set and it's dark here in California. So we are, in fact, I'd love to know what the future holds because it's tomorrow for you. And I, I don't know what happens overnight. It's all good. I can only see good <laughs> things coming your way, David. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I'm excited to have the, the conversation today. And like I said to everybody, you and I have a lot of experience both on the consulting side uh, being consultants and bringing about change to organizations, but also driving marketing and having to be in uh, agents of change. But I think we got to start where we go way back. If you look up Gary, and I suggest that you guys do connect with Gary on LinkedIn, because it's always great to have my guests in your network. You may have a question or want to follow the content they are putting out. Gary was a uh, Scotland Yard homicide detective and, a, and an officer before that. So um, tell us how a homicide detective lands in marketing. And I'm sure there's some lessons from being a detective and working in marketing for sure. Right. I know it feels like multiple lifetimes ago uh, when I was living in London uh, and, you know, practicing my trade as a detective. The The interesting thing about, I think, detective work is that I discovered a lot of skills that now are just very transferable. You know, I spent my time having to listen and listen carefully. Uh, and sometimes having to, you know, pick apart what people were saying. So people might say one thing, but really they meant another. Uh, something that happens in marketing a lot, right? Uh, we get a question, but actually it's not the right question. The sentiment might be right, but not the question. Uh, being able to look at a lot of data uh, and understand what's important and what isn't. Uh, and ultimately, what's your plan? How do we convince somebody to take a course of action? And detective work is about that, right? It's about we want a certain outcome. And as a marketer, we want a certain outcome, right? We want a conversion, we want a sale, uh, we want a lead, uh, we want to give this better experience. Uh, and so, weirdly, uh, my skill set transferred very well. So when I moved to Los Angeles, uh, I was working for a firm there and marketing was new to me. And I thought the only way I can be a marketer is to use those skills I developed in another industry and make them work for me. And I was quite fortunate that I had the time and space and uh, mentorship to do that. Yeah. What was the impetus for, for leaving your profession and making a switch into marketing? You know, I always, uh, always joke, but it's kind of true. Nobody gets shot at 2 a.m. Uh, sorry, you know, 9 a.m. <laughs> on a Tuesday morning, right? 
<laughs> it was always the middle of the night, so the phone rings, up you get. Uh, working in Scotland Yard was fantastic. I would never change it for anything, the experience, the skills I learned. Uh, but ultimately, uh, you know, marketing or private sector just seemed like a place where I would have more leeway, could be more creative. Yeah. You know, you can't get in the courtroom and be particularly creative, right? It's very black and white. Uh, it, it happened or it didn't. It's a fact or it isn't. Uh, but in marketing, of course, you can you can test things, right? Yeah. Can you imagine going to court and say, I'm going to A-B test uh, this trial. <laughs> see, yeah. see what outcome I prefer. You know? I'm going to try to, you know, uh, yeah. prosecute in two different ways. You let me know which is yeah. more effective and... Yeah or, yeah, or defend. Wow. Well, glad you made the pivot because that brought us together uh, and, and a chance to talk about being an agent of change. Um, you spent over seven years in, in consulting, and uh, it was I started my career really as a consultant, um, went into sales, and then went into marketing, and then wound up starting a consulting firm back in 2007. And one of the things for me being on the consulting side uh, was you're hired to bring about change. You're, you're not hired to sit there in the room and say, you guys are doing everything great. I don't suggest a thing. And so you build up the muscle memory and the expertise to prescribe change to people. And I think with you being, Gary, a homicide detective, when you're consulting, the way you listen and observe the room and watch their body language and reactions is a, is a, is a unique skill set that you can bring to, you know, how are, how are people responding to the suggestions uh, that you're bringing? I, I, would, um, I had to learn a lot uh, without those skills in terms of knowing when the suggestions I was making were maybe big, hairy, audacious goals that people weren't ready for or maybe not enough change uh, for others. How did uh, how'd your experience being a consultant, you think, help you in the, in the roles that you're in uh, subsequently? Yeah, you know, uh, I always remember one of my perhaps largest clients, a big financial institution, and one of the, the greatest skills I learned, I keep saying listing, but actually it's observation. Uh, and I went into to their office and there was this tagline on the wall. And this tagline might as well have been a paragraph. It was huge. Now, this is the problem. This is you know, the value proposition that nobody can remember. Uh, it's very confusing. Uh, but one of my, I guess, everything I learned in the police is great. One of the, the downsides was being very blunt, mm -hmm. right? You know, a detective, yeah. a cop is always going to be very, you know, straight down the middle. And I pretty much said, that's a problem, right? I mean, what the hell does that mean? Uh, and it pushed everybody back. Like, oh, that's not why we brought you here to, you know, point out problems. We want solutions. Uh, so I guess my, my take home here really was that you know, having got to be very observant and go beyond the brief because the brief is often right, very, very tight. Uh, here's what we want you to look at and solve, but nothing is in isolation. Uh, so again, I was there to look at the performance uh, campaigns were running and they were the ones to get a lot more efficient, but the reality was something completely different. The reason they weren't performing as a wealth management firm was because everything they said looked like they were a debt consolidation firm. Mm -hmm. Completely different businesses, right? Yeah. Uh, we had to have a different conversation. Uh, so yeah, that ability to listen uh, and observe what's really and truly happening really helps, I think, articulate uh, 
once you get the skills, it took me a while uh, to have those conversations. And and the big question is, how do I bring about change, right? Yeah. I mentioned to you, I I wasn't proud of it, but I mentioned to you since we were getting together later for me, earlier for you, uh, that I stopped by Taco Bell. And we have these Taco Bells uh, in the area. I I don't think there's very many of them across the world, but they have... uh, they, they not only serve alcohol, which I didn't participate in, but they'll make mixed drinks, but they have like six Xboxes and they have all these TV screens. And on the TV screen was poker. And when I thought about you and I doing the podcast and I see these poker players and thinking about your background being a homicide detective, I, not being trained, but I will pick up certain tells of people or certain behaviors. And I'll watch on meetings if I see someone like adjusting in their chair and, and I wonder if there's anything that you've learned or share, but I watch these things to see if, if someone is physically uncomfortable, it may be because they're emotionally uncomfortable and they're, they're displaying some body actions to do that or some kind of nervous tics. Do you find any of that, that the training that you have, you use those skills in, in a conference room when you're suggesting ideas? I think we've all been in meetings, right? Where you quickly identify people who probably have something very valuable to say, but they don't have psychological safety, right? So they can't, mm-hmm. uh, or they refuse to. Uh, and you always have the people who dominate a meeting. And both cases are unhelpful. Even if the dominant speaker has got lots of great things to share, it's it's a problem if everybody isn't participating. Yeah. Uh, and so you're right, you'll often see that in that kind of non-rebel communication. Uh, but the biggest one, right, is the silence, the disengagement, because the person doesn't feel it's a safe space, that they won't be valued. Uh, so I do my best like to try and tease information out of people. Say, what do you think? Uh, because often those little nuggets of gold aren't with the person who you think is most qualified or the most experienced, uh, or certainly not the loudest voice. It's often elsewhere. Uh, and we've discussed this before, right? You know, the, the, the different types of personality traits. Yeah. Uh, and so you need to try and tease that out of people. You bring up a great point because there are introverts, there's extroverts, ambiverts, there's people who are comfortable, like you said, that safe space. I um, I don't know if it's a book or just good coaching, but I've often heard that, you know, the sign of a really great leader is, is the last one to speak. And um, I can't say I practice that all the time, quite candidly, especially if I feel like the room or the team is struggling to get the conversation going, yeah. I'll lean in there and and do that. But I do like to get the ideas from the person who seems engaged with their eye contact, but is quiet and, and reserved about saying um, something. I wanna talk to you about, you, you know, bringing about change. I'll share with you, Gary, and A, because you've been a consultant and also as a, as a colleague in marketing, just some thoughts. So when I, when I got here at, at BDO Digital, I had mentioned that um, we didn't have a marketing team within the BDO Digital organization. Uh, the parent organization, BDO, so we're a wholly owned subsidiary of BDO, they provide marketing services to the group and, and that's how things were, were structured. And we've gone through a change where we've, we've brought marketing within BDO Digital and we're currently at the stage where we're building on our team and building out our stack and and leveraging the stack that's in place by the organization. And we're bringing ideas. We're, you know, not only is, are we bringing ideas because demand gen, you know, my group has been doing this 
for 14 plus years and advising lots of clients. But we're asking someone to move their cheese and do something differently and challenge the status quo. And I have to treat it very delicately because I don't want to ever suggest that what anyone else is doing is necessarily wrong or bad because not necessarily labeling it that way. But I, I'm, I'm a natural innovator. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, of course. So there are times when we should repeat what we're doing because it works. And there's times when we should try something new or do something new because that's, that's the field of play that we're now in. Um, I'm curious what advice you have for someone like myself and, and everybody listening, um, how to approach big sweeping change. Not the little stuff, wow. but big, I wish I had a field <laughs> value or a pick list value. Yeah. But big I wish change. I had the silver bullet for this, right? Because if I did, I'd write a book and uh, maybe I'd be interviewing you, David. Right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's not the case. You, know, it, you bring up an interesting point of making people still feel valued, even if the processes or what they bring is what's going to change. And I think that's important, right? We have to value people. At the same time, I think it's, we, we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to the organization, we owe it to our peers and leadership to still be candid. Uh, and that's the area I struggle with because, you know, I really don't want to tell people this is just a terrible way of doing things. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But Nobody how do you change? Right. Uh, so I watched soccer, uh, and a couple of weeks ago, Chelsea got beat by Real Madrid at home. And two nights ago, or last night, they actually beat Real Madrid. They still went out of the, the Champions League, but they beat them in Madrid. And I was reading the article how the manager had this real, you know, come to Jesus moment with the team. You know, some home truths are spoken. So people were clearly told, like, you sucked. <laughs> what you did wasn't good enough, right? We got to do better. We can do better. You have the skill set to be better. Yeah. And guess what? They did do better, right? Uh, and I think it's hard to have those very candid conversations and keep it positive at the same time. Uh, and that's the key. How do you tell people, this is not the way we want to do it moving forward. Here's the reasons why. But you're still part of the, the success moving forward, right? So uh, I get a little disheartened sometimes when we try and paint everything as positive. It's like kids at school, right? Everybody gets a certificate. Everyone gets a medal. I'm like, well, what are we teaching here, right? You know, not, there not will be much winners. in that Not case. much, right? Right. You know? uh, Showing show up doesn't get you an award. It shouldn't. No, exactly. Uh, and that's my fear sometimes in big organizations that we get a little, perhaps too cautious, conservative about upsetting people. Right. And it's not about upsetting people. It's about upskilling people. Yeah. But you can't say everything you did, did have been doing is great, but we want you to upskill. You'd be like, well, why? You just said it's unperfect, right? Yeah. We have to point out where those areas of growth are, why we're changing. Yeah. But we still want you, right? You're still valuable. Yeah. And 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 try to find ways to communicate that says that maybe what once was right or worked now needs to evolve without, you know, um, telling some of their babies ugly, right? That that doesn't help metaphorically. Mm -hmm. Um no. Friend of mine, former client. Uh, worked at, at LinkedIn, and he did a really phenomenal job creating a culture of innovation there. His name is Nicholas Draca from France. And he would have these marketing hacking days. And the idea with the hacking days was to get people to come up with radical new ideas and, and pitch them to each other. And so you were, you were creating an environment 
almost like Shark Tank, where the goal was to come up with a new idea, not something to do, and talk about that. And I thought that was a really clever way to bring about a culture of innovation and, and encourage people to try uh, new things. And any any techniques or, or things that you've done in, in group environments with some initiatives you've worked on to create a spirit of, of openness and willing to change? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. You remind me actually of a story when I first joined the police as in uniform. And for some reason, I think as the new recruiter, I got picked to go and walk with the, uh, the chief superintendent, kind of like the guard of the, the division. And he was clearly a, yeah, a traditionalist. And at the time we were going through this uh, updating the uniform, make it a bit more modern. And he asked me what I thought about it. And I was like, our uniform's ridiculous, right? These big hats and it's clunky, it's ugly. I mean, you just can't relate to people on the street when you're dressed like this. And he disagreed with me very strongly. He goes, oh, no, tradition's important. We, we should maintain this. So I asked him, I goes, how did you get to the office this morning? And he goes, when I was in the police car, right? I got driven here. I goes, you could have taken a horse. That's how we used to do it, right? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I never got I never got to go that walk again. <laughs> that was it. Uh, yeah. But but that's a, that's a cultural thing within an organization. Not every organization, even if you have innovators, will give them the space to to fail to try. Uh, and there may be so much buying required. Uh, a good friend of mine is with a, a large retail company based in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and he often tells me how they need to get everybody bought in and sign off before they can do anything. And I've watched that retailer, you know, their shares crash multiple times as they struggle to be nimble and move with the market. Yeah. Uh, and that's wrong with a lot of organizations. Yeah. It feels good to have a hundred percent buy-in, but then that means everybody's compromising for that right. agreement. Right. Right. Uh, and compromise only gets you so far. Yeah. No. You have to you have to be okay with being wrong too. Uh, it's not a democracy, but you know you're not always right. And and uh, I I've been coaching more and more youth these days. A lot of people that are entering marketing and still in that first, second, third year of their career. And one of the things I notice about them pretty consistently, for the most part, is they're not comfortable speaking up in meeting meetings and making yeah. suggestions because either they feel that everyone else is smarter in the room or they haven't earned a chance to share their voice yet. Mm-hmm. And I have my own perspective on it, but I'd, I'd love to hear from you because I think everybody listening who is maybe in that first, you know, even five to 10 years of your career or early enough where you're not comfortable, we wanna give you advice on on the importance of, of why we need to hear your voice. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I know. I think that was one of the benefits of my first career is during police training, we were taught it doesn't matter who the person is, how senior they are, you have to challenge them. We, you know, we can't afford the organization making big, big mistakes, decisions that are going to haunt us because you were silent. Uh, my wife works for the government in Singapore, and she's been trained the opposite. Right? The more senior you are, the more respect you have to give, and therefore you should be quiet. Uh, and so working in Asia, right, I have that culture here, mm-hmm. and also what I've experienced being in the States and the UK. But to make people speak up, they have to know that it is a safe space. And I don't think that can be achieved you know, in a Zoom call with 300 people. That is not a safe space for anybody, right? right? right. Uh, so it starts on those one-to-one conversations uh, and giving people the confidence to share ideas uh, by giving feedback that helps them articulate that yeah. so they can give that to a bigger group. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I spent time doing that. I know my team spent a lot of time on these one-to-one conversations, building confidence. In fact, yeah. it happened the other day. You know, one of my team members really doubting herself. Uh, I couldn't understand why. And it wasn't because she hasn't got the skills or the experience or the knowledge. She really just doubted her that her voice mattered in a bigger forum. I'm like, you're the expert here, nobody else. So yeah. use that, you know? Yeah. Uh, put your game face on. Yeah. I uh, remember when I worked for Microsoft, and this was, you know, 1988, first version of Windows, and the first Windows applications were all coming to market. And I suggested to my boss uh, on a car drive, I said, how come we don't bundle our solutions in a way in which when we go and get corporations to standardize on them, they're just standardizing on, you know, the bundle instead of just each individual application? Because I was new, you know, like that just seemed obvious to me. And Diane said to me, she goes, you know, Dave, one of the things I want to share with you is is two things. One is um, you have some big ideas and you just have to be careful in an organization like ours where you share those big ideas. And that was like, I was stumped by that. Right. And I went and talked yeah. to my dad uh, that night who worked for the government his entire career. And he explained to me about politics and he explained to me about uh, how your simple idea can come across to other people, especially if you're new. But what she did say to me, which I liked was, um, you know, when you have ideas like that, if we're going into a meeting or stuff, you know, feel free to come and talk to me prior to the meeting so I can give you feedback about whether to bring that up uh, during the meeting, whether that should get on the agenda. And I really appreciated that as a manager because she created that safe space without me realizing that's what it was at the time that created that safe space to have a conversation with her. So I had a forum to share the ideas and she could help me either shape them or squash them or whatever, but, you know, be able to, to talk in the room. Cause I certainly wasn't comfortable early on in my career talking during a large Microsoft meeting or a marketing meeting uh, that we're having. I've got a town hall coming up with my group. We've got that at the end of the month. And I was meeting with Rob Bonham earlier today, who's our managing director. I think, you know, Rob and his team. So this point that you bring up, like that may not be a safe space, especially in a Zoom-ish environment for people to talk. And, And I think what I'll do, since so much of us are working in that environment today, is tell the team that my chat is open and if you want to talk about a topic or raise a topic, but not verbally say it or whatever, just let me know and and put an exclamation point or some symbol that says, you know, between you and I, I think we should talk about this or whatever. And, and we would need to find ways to do that because we are meeting in more and more groups, especially in large organizations. And I want people's voices to be heard because some of the best ideas come from, you know, the people that are new to the organization or seeing it with a fresh uh, approach uh, and such. I um, want to talk about leadership uh, a bit. I sent a note to a team member and I said to him, I said, you know, there's three things that I recommend from a leadership perspective. And I'd like to get your thoughts on it. One is to lead by example. And I, I want to talk with you more about that. The second thing I told them was to set very clear expectations. And the third thing I said is a phrase that another CEO taught me once early in my career. He said, inspect what you expect. And not meaning what he meant was, you know, don't start an initiative, hand it off, and then not go check in and make sure that, you know, the result that you're looking to achieve. Someone in your role that has a broad responsibility uh, with everything from MarTech and sales tech and 
demand generation, everything else. How, what's your style of leadership um, and advice that you have for people that are, that are undertaking, you know, uh, change initiatives? Yeah, I think the first thing is trust. Uh, I have to start from a place of trust and just believe that everybody's doing their best. Uh, even if, you know, the outcomes or the outputs sometimes doesn't tell that story. Uh, I genuinely do believe most people are trying their best and we have to trust. Uh, that allows people and enables people, right, mm-hmm. to actually be a little more creative, be more, uh, I guess, inventive in what they're trying to do uh, and feel like they have the space to do things. We've all had micromanagers at some point in our life, I think, and it's a horrible experience. Yeah. Now, I know there are people who say, you know, I really like to have a manager rather than a leader. I like to be told, you know, ABC, do this and check in with me every day, four times a day. That's how some people like to work. Okay. Uh, I struggle with those. With yeah, that, me too. Uh, because I don't want to do that. It doesn't feel right. So giving people that space, uh, space to succeed, space to fail, uh, and always be kind of coaching and encouraging. Uh, that is the key. But you're very, very right about always making sure that you don't just create a project, hand it off, and walk away. Uh, that's a common, a common challenge, I think, for any leader uh, or any project member, where teams are generally very lean. Right? We're never big enough. Right? Marketing has never right. got enough people right. anywhere. Yeah. Uh, the sales team will say the same: never enough, enough of us. Uh, so you know, I get pulled in so many different directions because the size of my portfolio. Uh, so what I have to do is make sure there, there are people throughout the, the different teams who I can check in with them. Cause I can't check in with everybody all the time, mm-hmm. but I can make sure that anybody who's running some of these projects know that they have that open door, uh, that I'll be proactive in going through the door, right? It's not often good enough just to say, oh, come when you need me. Yeah. Because uh, some people, they won't, right? They don't want to bother you. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. Yeah, I was in I was in hospital about two months ago for surgery, and I was in the ICU, but I was also in quarantine in the ICU because I got a notification saying I could have COVID. Albeit I didn't, and so I wake up from surgery. I got all these tubes coming out of me, and the machine behind me goes bananas. Right, there's red lights flashing, it's bleeping, it's an alarm, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is this is not good, right? Uh, but I have the buzzer to tell a nurse like help. I don't. I'm not going to interrupt a, a nurse in an ICU, despite the fact this thing's gone crazy. Three hours in an ICU before somebody comes. And she looks with, oh, you need oxygen. I thought, oh, yeah, I, I guess I do. This machine's gone crazy. <laughs> but I realized this happens in a team environment You know, at work, right? Yeah. There will be people whose alarm has gone off, uh, and I won't see it. And they're not going to hit the button either. And that's the importance of being proactive uh, to be a good leader and just checking in. Even if you think everything is okay, somebody might need oxygen. Uh, so you got to check in. I um, love what you said earlier about being candid. And I want to come back to that point you just made, because there's some other stories about that. I read the book Radical Candor, and I've had folks from organization on on the podcast. This is a New York Times bestseller. And they really talk about, you know, if if you're not in that place of trust, like it's really hard to be candid with people. Yeah. And I have to make sure I've I've learned over the years, whether it's my 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 family or or people who work for me, nobody wants to disappoint David. You know, I hear that. And so 
if I were to say to you, you know, if we were team members or you worked for me in this role play scenario, I said, you know, Gary, I, I, was, I was really, if I use the word, really disappointed the way that webinar came off. Like, that's just such a blow to the person. Yeah. And, and Gary probably already knows that that webinar wasn't a success. And so you learn different language to not yeah. hit somebody that way, but to say, how do you think the webinar went? Hopefully they're a minute. And then just asking the question, what do you think now that we've done it, you would do differently the next time uh, to make some improvements? And chances are they have the answers to it. And so it's it's a way to give you know coaching and feedback without actually having to make someone you know feel feel that way. But you you got to be candid, otherwise find a candid conversation, say space. Otherwise, you rob the other person of growth. Right. That's the challenge I have, right? Or the issue I take with it is that if we just sugarcoat everything, mm -hmm. then that person is going to keep repeating. I want to make somebody so skilled that they could be hired anywhere, but choose not to, right? Right. They should be Love that. able to move on if they wish and yeah. be a success because they're going to have so many great stories to tell. But they don't want to disappoint Gary in this instance, and they want to stay. For sure. Tell me about what you think of, in general, the work ethic of the Gen X's and the Millennials and Gen Z. You know, or it, I, I would say anybody who's maybe like under thirty-five yeah. right now, twenty to thirty-five, that age demographic. I'm curious to see, and maybe it's different in Singapore, but you've lived in many different places. Cause I, I, I have some observations, but I, I went to the school of of hustle. My parents worked hard. They were great role models for me. I worked really hard. I've worked hard my whole career. I love work. I actually enjoy what I do. And and so it doesn't feel like work to me, the stuff that I do. Can't, can't say that's been my feeling my whole career, but certainly for the past several decades, I really just enjoy what I'm, I'm doing. And I'm curious, you know, across your teams and the people that you've worked with and see, are you seeing a different level of effort that people are willing to put in? Wow. Controversial question, David. Uh, I, I, I think there's a different value proposition. So I would ask this, uh, would your parents have put the same effort in if they had as much information available to them as to what their leadership teams or what their investment funds were doing with their money, if they knew the world was being polluted, embargoes were being avoided and you know those companies buying oil from Russia today, would they be so invested and will have the same attitude knowing what was happening behind the scenes? I think the difference is we have a generation of people who have visual and eyeball over so much of what's happening, what corporations are doing, governments are doing, that that value proposition, oh, I work, you pay me, isn't the same anymore. Mm -hmm. They say, sure, you're paying me, but I don't want to be part of the consequence of this deal. This deal isn't so good because mm -hmm. if you're ruining my environment, the environment for the future, uh, if we're seeing mass poverty around the world, I don't want to be part of that. It doesn't make me feel good. Uh, and I think that's the difference. So I don't question the effort that uh, different generations put in. They might be the smarter people perhaps making different decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't agree, agree across the board because Silicon Valley has a lot of, a lot to answer for, right? Yeah. Oh, we yeah. looked at you know some of Silicon Valley companies by people younger than me who I thought would perhaps have a different attitude, but actually 
still changing the doll, ch- chasing the dollar, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of the impact. Uh, yeah. We can think of some big social media firms, perhaps, where that appears to be the case. Right. So in my team, yeah, I, I do think there's different values. Uh, and what we're seeing after COVID is the value of going to the office. What is the meaning of culture within the workplace? So I'm in the camp where look at work where they, wherever they want to work. Uh, it's not about locations, about you know outcomes and output. But there's certainly an older generation within my organization, other organizations. That's not the case, right? Mm-hmm. But the culture has come to the office. I guess well. And you have a lot of younger people who perhaps, why? Like just can't relate to it. And right. I'm saying, I can't relate. I, I don't get the value in it. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't really see this generational effort thing. Uh, I think it's really the value proposition that a business now gives has to be a lot stronger. I love it. I love, I love, you know, we're talking about being an agent of change and people having different yeah. perceptions and you and I have potentially different, different views. Um, and the, the conversation would probably, if we continue down the path talking about, you know, is it about working harder, working smarter and, and other right. things in terms of quality of life and balance. Your, your point about whether we work in an office or work at home, I think is a very much a personal uh, preference. I've talked to some people that are now starting to get back to the office. And for them, they're really enjoying because that's what they were used to. Yeah. And they were taken from that environment. Um, every single buddy, every single person within my group um, has known working virtual since the company was started in 2007. That's how we were born. That's all they've ever known when, when COVID came about. Uh, we were like, all right, it's business as usual for us, but it's not going to be for our clients. So just be very sympathetic that they're not going to be as comfortable right. on webcam all day long and, you know, those things. But um, like I, th- I, think we all, I think we all have to find what our rhythm is, where we feel most comfortable. There are athletes who are tireless athletes and train and, and, and reach a certain pinnacle of, of success. And if we look at some business leaders, there are certainly people who have incredible work ethics uh and and but they suffer from it i unfortunately gary had a you know, colleague of mine um at adobe who passed away within a year of his retirement and this happened about right. a year and a half two years ago and those stories are just tragic when you know that he used to put like 200 plus days on the road and then you know hits yeah. his retirement and is not able to really enjoy it so we've got to find balance along the journey but i also feel like if you want to be an agent of change and if you want to um, really do some good work, it's sometimes hard to fit that in a nine to five uh, time frame. You know, even if it's mental outside of work, not actually sitting at a keyboard or whatever. Um, some of the best work I've ever done has been on an airplane with my electronics off and just staring at a headrest and making some notes uh, and thoughts. Yeah, I relate. I mean, my best ideas come at the gym. What time of the day do you normally go to oh, the gym? Oh, I'm normally there about 8.30 in the morning. 8.30. So, uh, that's why we're talking uh, at 10 o'clock Singapore today. There you go. Uh, yeah. But you know, I think the other thing as a leader is that expectation that not everybody needs to be exceptional. Right. And it's not realistic, right? No. Uh, I don't expect, you know, gold me- everybody in the team to be a gold medalist. Uh, again, something I learned uh, when I was in the police, there were cops who would uh, be really good investigators. And there'd be some who would do the work that nobody else wanted. Like they'd mm-hmm. go from call to call to call, taking the quick police report, moving on to the next one, high volume, uh, but actually delivering 
you know, a lot of safety to people who are calling the police because they're getting a fast response. Right. They're essential for an organization. We can't all be thinking big vision, right? And blue skying everything. We need people who are granular, people who just get things done. Uh, in, in many ways, they're more important than anybody else because right, they actually keep the lights on. Uh, if you're waiting for me to make sure everything happens, it would be a bit of a problem. Yeah. Nice. We're talking about work ethic, talking about leadership, and talking about being an agent of change. Uh, how do you keep up with the changes that are taking place in digital and marketing technology and sales technology and you know, all the platforms that we use are going through upgrades and enhancements. And, and so many people have said to me lately, like things are overly complex. There's too many options, too many tools, uh, too much of everything. I, I just, I just want to get marketing kind of pared down to the, those essentials. And I'm, I guess, two part question is, you know, how are, how are you approaching the learning curve of, of, uh, learning new methodologies and technologies, but also how do you approach this, you know, massive complication that's, that's taking place due to digital transformation? Yeah. So I think the first thing is how do you not know what's happening? Uh, if you open up your inbox, you just see emails and you see all these different tactics coming your way. Right. Uh, so I'll click on things to see what happens and the experience, uh, or you open your phone, right? And you're using the latest app for a delivery, whatever it is, you just experience digital transformation pretty much every day. Yeah. Uh, and so you can't avoid it. Now, the key is that experience I find is what my customers, what my clients expect. So they don't care about the bad experience. They look at the best and project that on, you know, the company I work for. You're a professional services firm. Yeah. They expect to have the, you know, the Uber or the Airbnb experience, right? Mm -hmm. the, the seamless app and everything's pre-filled and you just click and it all works. Uh, I got an incredible email just the other day uh, from uh, a small store that I shop for some cycling gear. And it just gave me all the information I wanted, really nice call to action buttons. It gave me, you know, the tracking, a reminder of what I purchased uh, and, and access into my account so I can see my loyalty points. I was like, yeah. how did they know that's what I wanted? Right. in one email. It was great. And so straight away, I think, oh, do we do that with our customers? Right. Do we even know what they want when they get an email? Yeah. If we do, am I able to deliver that? Yeah. Ultimately, that experience for most customers or clients, we're going to call them, is actually pretty simple. People aren't looking for the most complicated. They want simplicity. Yeah. It's always the, the award-winning app, right? Or experience is always simple. Right. You know, I got it, I click, I got what I wanted. So sure, the, the MarTech can be complicated, but the focus is never really about this, the tech stack, right? The focus should only be on, is my customer or client smiling at the end of it? And they might not tell you they had a great experience, but they'll tell you if you had a bad one. Yeah. And, and your data will reflect that. So keep it simple, right? And understand what makes life easier, for people to interact and do business with you and remove those barriers. It's so profound in terms of the importance of, of the client experience and really not looking any further than what you're experiencing day to day. Uh, this past weekend, I brought my car to the car dealership to get a tire replaced because I unfortunately got one of those flats that you can't fix. You got to get a new tire. Right. That was an expensive nail, unfortunately. Um, 
and to your point, they did everything. And I, I don't want to mention the brand name uh, because they're, they're, they're really a great company and they've modernized their client experience every way that they could. And, and that's what I want to highlight. What you said is, you know, they've, they've taken the friction out of the experience of making the appointment, confirming the appointment with text messages, even the surveys and all that. Where it failed for me was they called me, which was great, and said, well, come pick you up at your house and bring you to come pick up the car. It's ready. So as soon as they told that to me, I did this math and I thought, you know, I, um, I'm going to go there and go get it. And I got there and I waited an hour and a half. And the reason I waited right. an hour and a half is they not only fixed the tire, but they decided to proactively do a software upgrade that was needed. Well, they ran into a glitch. And it was just the communication at the end of the day while I was waiting that I started to get really frustrated. And that's where the client experience broke down. And, you know, again, if they weren't doing everything right and happy with the car, I might not want to go back because it was so right. frustrating. And I had people coming to the house and I was going to be late for it. And it was really stressing me out. So everything went to crap because of that piece of the client experience where the car repair, the service and everything in the proactiveness were all great. The bar is so Hi, Gary, in terms of client experience these yeah. days, it's so hard for all of us to to delight a client every single day and every single interaction. It's really tough. Yeah. Um, I mean, often a lot of the conversations I have, we get very focused on, I guess, internal goals. How do we get, reach our internal goal and project that right on the, the experience we're giving as opposed to reversing it? So I suspect, right, in your story, one of their KPIs was if we get a vehicle in here, make sure the software is up to date, right? That's a good value proposition. We extra know we're going to do that and give yeah. it. But unless you have the system in place to let you know in advance, right? Right. We will also be doing this. This will take an extra hour. So when we do call you, you know, actually, I'd argue that you probably just deliver the car to you, right? Yeah. Why do it in reverse? Give you the car yeah. an hour early. Yeah. Uh, but unless you plan that out, then you're right. All good intentions get blown out the window yeah even though they were trying to do the right thing yeah and you know after after that couple hours of feeling anxious because i i didn't want to disappoint my friends that were coming over uh and be ready for barbecue and all that you know passed and and sure i would go back there again because of the end results like you said about the outcomes yeah. earlier and the outcome was good um there was a little bump in the road but the bar is really 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 high yeah. um want to wrap up with asking you in terms of uh, you know, looking out maybe 12 months, even longer, are there areas of innovation or, or new things happening out there that you're, you're observing or paying attention to, um, or are you more heads down focused on some of the day-to-day -day stuff that you guys are still implementing? Finding that balance, right, of innovation versus <laughs> current state. Yeah, you know, uh, Having spent you know a decade in uh, San Francisco, I'm very cynical of you know the, what comes out of Silicon Valley, right? Uh, I mean, I think AI we've been talking about it for years, uh, and it's still we've got a long way to go to deliver on what we want to deliver. I think there's still a, we still deal with all the data. Every organization has a data challenge. We have so much data. What's useful? What isn't? Yeah. Uh, and how do we turn that into something impactful that helps people? And again, remove those frictions from doing business with you. Uh, so I, I don't have a crystal ball and, and I did, it probably broke. So I think, you know, again, it's always about keeping it simple. It doesn't matter the tool you're using. It's are you meeting those objectives? Uh, 
perhaps in, in marketing in marketing in general, the biggest look or concern for me now is how do we make sure our brand stands up to the rigor and how people are viewing brands today. Right. So every brand is out there talking about sustainability and ESG and you know, diversity and inclusion. Easy things to say. But, you know, like we said earlier, people have access to information. So how do we make sure those values that we say we care about are seeded throughout the entire experience people have with us? So, you know, my insurance company recently just emailed me, dear valued customer, made me feel really warm having just gone through surgery, right? And I thought, your website's full of how much you care about people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just a valued customer. You didn't even know my name. Uh, if you can't get that right, mm-hmm. then I have to question your entire proposition on what matters to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's all those touch points I think we need to just pay attention to. Yeah. Last question for you. UK, California, or uh, yeah, California, United States, uh, and now Singapore. Where, what's next? Or are you staying there? Uh, you know, my wife is Singaporean. I don't think she's letting me go anywhere Okay. Uh, currently. But I know California's home. Uh, it's, for me, the best place uh, on earth. It's incredible. But I can't complain. Look, I have beautiful weather out here. It's yeah. uh, sometimes too beautiful. Yeah. Too hot. Well, it's it's a fun place to live in Silicon Valley in terms of seeing innovation all the time. You know, before COVID, was doing a lot more driving around and visiting uh, partners and clients in their offices, and and we have a lot of tech uh, clients, so it's it's fun. And I would take pictures for my kids if I was you know in the Pinterest office or the Twitter office or right. or Facebook, and they're like, oh, get me a shirt or get me something. And um, you know, now it's 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 really interesting to see the changes that are taking place because of of where everybody's working and there's just, it feels like less presence, um, physical presence in terms of uh, the tech companies. A lot of innovation coming. This is gonna be a year I think of where, you know, mixed reality, uh, we're gonna see announcements from Apple coming soon uh, in this AR and VR space. And I did an episode not too long ago on the metaverse and whether we as marketers need to start paying attention to what will now be another new potential channel of, of marketing and advertising. And I believe we do need to pay attention to it, but boy, we got a lot of, a lot of other stuff to still get done before we necessarily sink a lot of time and effort, unless we really want to be truly early innovators in this, in this marketing right. channel. And I think in the markets as well, it's just expanding. We see so much tech coming out of China uh, and other parts of the globe, Europe as well, but very competitive, right? And if you're going to be that early adopter and an innovator, you got to choose wisely, right? Where you're going to invest, uh, to, to choose that winning horse, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, Gary, thank you. I will let you uh, get back to your day, starting your day. I appreciate you letting me know that everything's going to be good in the future, at least looking 24 hours. It's, that's, that's great. And thank you for um, working with the team and taking a bet on them. And I know they enjoy the work that that's, that's going on there. Um, we've got a lot to do. I'll, I'll keep you abreast of the things that are, that are happening here and, and check in on you uh, as well. Don't go away. Let me just, uh, Say farewell to everybody. Um, look, you guys, uh, we got some new episodes for you guys on Demand Gen TV. We invited some MarTech companies to come give some demos. And so we put some of those episodes up for you guys. So if you are looking for what's new and what's happening out there, uh, Demand Gen TV on the YouTube channel is a really great place to check out and just see new MarTech short demos so that you can take a look. Um, because maybe you are looking to do some data enrichment or targeting or ABM 
We like to show you guys what is happening in the space. If there's something you'd like to see or a particular vendor that you'd like to have come and do a demo, don't hesitate to drop me a note on LinkedIn. Uh, but I want to thank you guys for tuning in. I check the stats for the podcast. You know, I'm a marketer just like you guys, and I check the stats for the podcast. And so a huge bump uh, this quarter over last quarter. So it looks like you guys are tuning in. Maybe you're back commuting again. I don't know what it is or just listen to great episodes like the one with Gary. So thank you for tuning in. If you didn't hit subscribe, be sure to. And uh, hey, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. We'll catch you guys on the next one. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. <laughs>